Please remain seated until the vehicle comes to a full stop. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Doug Bursch, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. On today's show, I'm going to talk about something that's very important to me and close to me. I'm dyslexic, and I also have dyscalculia. Now, there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to dyslexia, and even more when it comes to dyscalculia. But on today's show, I want to talk about how it's important that we would understand these learning disabilities in helping ourselves and helping others. This is a very important show that I'd like you to share with others who might struggle with what I struggle with on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Welcome back to the show, and I am so glad you could join me uh, for today's show. In fact, uh, I've been thinking about doing this for a long time, and I think today is a good day to do the first show on dyslexia. I think I might do more in the future because I really want to become an advocate for this very important issue. Now, at some level, I knew that I was dyslexic, Uh, most of my life, in that when I was a very young child, my parents talked about me having dyslexia. However, I did not realize the full extent to what dyslexia does to a person, or what a dyslexic person actually is like. In fact, I saw dyslexia as something that you grow out of. Primarily, I thought of it in these terms. I couldn't read or read well, and then I was helped, and I grew out of my dyslexia. In fact, I thought it was this way uh, up until adulthood. I was actually, uh, I had a a daily radio program on a local Christian radio station, and I had an expert come on the show because I thought, well, this would be fun. I can talk about how I grew out of dyslexia, and this person can give help to people who are dealing with dyslexia. And so the expert came on the show, and then I realized that as she was talking, that I really didn't have an understanding of who I am and how I actually exist. Because dyslexia is not something you grow out of. It's actually a way your brain exists. And there's no cure for it. There's coping mechanisms. There's ways to develop new pathways in the brain. But the dyslexic brain is not something you grow out of. And dyslexia is far more than just about reading or having letters backwards or things like that. It's much more complicated. And on the show, as this expert was talking, I felt like crying because I realized that so many of the things I'd struggled with in life actually had a cause. That instead of me just being a bad student or having a bad memory or not doing well in math or with word problems, what was actually happening is my dyslexic brain was expressing itself. I also learned another concept around the same time, and that's the concept of dyscalculia. Now, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to talk about some of the symptoms of these two very difficult-to-say words. By the way, isn't that a problem? 
If you actually have dyslexia and dyscalculia, those are terrible words to try to remember. They actually feed into some of your dyslexic and dyscalculia struggles. One of the struggles of dyslexia is often struggling to differentiate between similar sounding words. So what do they do? Many dyslexics also have dyscalculia and the words are very similar. And if you are someone with those struggles, it's very difficult to even differentiate between those two words and to remember them and to communicate them. There seems to be something truly, I don't know, cruel about labeling someone with a certain learning disability that they cannot remember or say out loud. But let's just first get at a personal story here. I want to personalize this a bit. Because this isn't something I struggled with in the past. This is something that I deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I want to talk to you about homophones. Homophones. What are those, Doug? Well, if you can remember back to a, a language class that you were taking, maybe you weren't paying much attention, but your teacher was trying to teach you about homophones. Now, homophones are words that are spelled differently, but they actually sound the same. So, for instance, uh, the word your. The word your can be a contraction of you and are. It can also just be uh, to talk about in terms of your, Y-O-U-R. It can be you are, or it can just be your. This is your thing, not you are thing. This is your thing. So it's spelled two different ways. Y-O-U-R and Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. I hope I did that right in my head. <laughs> I might be expressing some of my dyslexia even in explaining it. That's a homophone. Here's another homophone. The word two. Two can represent a number, right? And so you spell it how? T-W-O. Two can just mean like, I want to go to the park, and then it's T-O. Or it can be, I want to go to, and that would be T-O-O. Those are three different ways to spell the same sounding word. Here's another homophone, there, right? And I'm sure you remember trying to learn these differences. There's there, T-H-E-R-E, then there's there, T-H-I-E-R, and then there's there as a contraction, T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. And if you're a student or you've been educated in any sort of educational system, there were times when uh, your teacher taught you the differences in these homophones. It was partly a spelling issue, and it was partly a grammar issue. Well, as a dyslexic, dyslexics just struggle with differentiating between homophones. And it's not that we don't know the rules. It's hard to learn the rules, but even when we learn the rules, there's something in our brain that just doesn't differentiate these different homophones. And so right now, if you find me on Twitter, there are times when I mean to write your, as in Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, but instead of writing that, I write Y-O-U-R. You say, why is that a problem? Well, also what you will see on Twitter is people who are grammar police. People who come in and make assumptions on your grammar that your intelligence might be less, or you might not be a wise person or an educated person, because you mix up the difference between how your is spelled. I've seen that in arguments. I watch someone tear apart someone else and say, how wise can you be if you don't even understand the difference on how to spell your? I've also confronted this every single year of my life. I have been corrected for my homophone usage. 
I've written something important, something theologically significant, something that was close to my heart. And instead of someone interacting with the idea, interacting with the tweet, interacting with the Facebook uh, post, interacting with the substance of what I'm communicating, instead they respond back, sometimes very graciously, with a correction of my grammar. A correction that assumes I'm just not educated. I just don't understand uh, the grammar. And then I have to politely explain, yes, I know that rule. And yes, I've had hundreds and hundreds of corrections of me doing that wrong. But it doesn't matter how many times you correct me, my dyslexic brain just doesn't see it. I sometimes see it afterwards, but while I'm writing it, and even when I'm editing it and rereading it again and again, the homophone air never sticks out. Sometimes much later I'll see it, but that's long after other people have seen my air. Now, that's just a little thing, but I'm going to talk a little bit about how much that can devastate someone's confidence, how it can limit your ability to communicate to people. Now, I've kind of broken through some of the barriers that other dyslexics have not broken through. And I don't think it's because I'm a self-made man or I just did it better than other people. Instead, I was born into a family where both of my parents are reading and English specialists. And because they already had that kind of education, they were able to help me overcome or at least cope with many of the struggles I have as a dyslexic. Others have not had that kind of background. And because I have such a privileged background, I believe it is my responsibility to be an advocate for people who struggle with dyslexia. Now, in case you just don't know anything about this, I want to give you just some signs of dyslexia. This is from the Mayo Clinic. Dyslexia is a learning disorder that involves difficulty reading due to problems, um, uh, due to the problems of identifying speech, sounds, are learning how they relate to letters and words. It's primarily a decoding issue. At a practical level, dyslexics just don't like to read. It's harder for them to read. It takes them longer to read. And comprehension of their reading can often be a struggle. Now hear me clearly, there is a spectrum when it comes to dyslexia and dyscalculia. And some people uh, have very different symptoms. There are some universal symptoms and signs, and then there's some symptoms and signs that are very different. Some dyslexics barely talk at all. Other dyslexics are able to verbally process in some pretty tremendous ways, but their verbal processing is not the same as their reading processing. People with dyslexia have normal intelligence, and they can be helped in school if people recognize this reality. But hear me clearly, dyslexia is a condition of the mind uh, that will not go away. There's no cure for it. And life is tremendously traumatic when dyslexia is undiagnosed. And I'm, you know, in my late 40s. But if you are of the generation before me, or even within my generation, there are many, many adults who were not diagnosed with dyslexia. The most extreme versions maybe were diagnosed. But many of you were not diagnosed. And because of that, you experienced a lot of educational trauma. Every time I speak about dyslexia in a church, there's someone who will come up afterwards in tears. And they're either in tears with, ah, finally someone understands my struggles, or they're in tears and they'll say something like, 
I'm dyslexic. I didn't even realize. I just thought it was this one thing. And as you gave that list of things, I realized all those things or many of those things have been great hindrances in my life. So I want to share that with you. Here are some signs of dyslexia. In early life, this is for young kids before school, you have problems forming words correctly, uh, reversing sounds in words, or confusing words that sound alike. Here's an example. For me, uh, I would confuse specific and pacific. Like, do you have a specific answer or do you have a pacific answer? Now, people can make fun of that and say, oh, that's kind of silly that you said Pacific versus specific. That actually is an expression of dyslexia. And what happens is the mind takes similar sounding words with similar alliteration or uh, similar uh, patterns of syllables and confuses the two. And you may know someone like that. You might even tease them in your family where they'll say a word that has nothing to do with the other words. And it's not a sign that they're not intelligent. It's not a sign that they're absent-minded. It's a sign that they're dyslexic. So I would say something like that. Uh, you need to be more pacific. When I meant to be, you need to be more specific. There's also problems remembering uh, the names of letters. Uh, numbers and colors and the direction of those letters and names. So for me as a kid, to learn the difference between a lowercase b and a lowercase d was incredibly difficult. One goes one direction, one goes the other direction. It was very hard to differentiate those two. It was hard to differentiate what direction s's went or, or the y, the tail on the y, why it went to the left versus the right. Uh, there's also often problems with differentiating colors and numbers. The difference between, uh, you know, this hit me with colors. For some reason, my mind would see blue and yellow. Now, now hear me clearly. I did know the difference between the color blue and the color yellow. But there was something in my mind that when I would see something yellow, I would think blue. And when I would see something blue, I would think yellow. And so I would write that down. Now, if you stopped me and had me think about it a different way and, and really pointed it out in a certain way, I could tell that yellow is yellow and blue is blue. But my dyslexic mind in the moment would, would label one differently. Uh, dyslexics have difficulty learning nursery rhymes and playing rhyming games. And this reminds me, I was looking at in second grade, I wrote this poem. And here's the poem. And I thought this poem was a limerick. And I thought it rhymed. Here's the poem that I wrote that at the time I thought rhymed. There once was a man from France who liked to fly like mad. He flew so high, he touched the sky, and they never saw him again. Now, I did rhyme high and sky, but rhyming mad and again and France, not so much. But at the time, I thought I was doing some sort of a rhyming poem. So when people get older at school age, here's also some other signs that this might help you with your kids as well if they're struggling with this, particularly if you have less resources, if you're homeschooling your kids, uh, maybe you don't have specialists to kind of even tell you what's going on. Here's some signs of dyslexia when your kids are older. Reading well below the expected level for that person's age. Now I, and I just have to say this, not as bragging, but just the context, in many areas, I would test as gifted or advanced or, or things like whatever those categories are. And I know those can be nebulous categories, but 
I would be seen as a very bright communicator. But when it came to reading, in second and third grade, my reading was so bad that the teachers wanted to take me out of the regular class and put me into a special needs class. And that was a special needs class where it was all special needs. So it could be people who have, are mentally disabled, who have severe intelligence uh, IQ issues. And they were going to put me in that class because when it came to reading, I, I read at a very low level. Now, because I had reading and English specialist as parents, they did not allow that to happen. And instead, they just worked with me harder and harder and also advocated for me within the school system. But reading well below expected grade levels, particularly when everything else is fine, is often a sign of dyslexia. A problem remembering the sequence of things, instructions, or word problems. Now, this was a big issue for me because when you can't remember the sequence of things, it can make you look like a bad student. The, the teacher will get up there and they'll tell you what? They'll say, I need you to do these three things. Uh, you know, put your pencils in the desk, uh, put your chair away, take this. They'll give three or four. When, when a teacher would give more than two instructions, I couldn't remember the third through sixth. And it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention. It was that my dyslexic brain could not remember. Now, there also was the struggle of dyslexic struggle with left and right and the difference between left and right, and it takes them time to process this. So here I am in kindergarten, or actually this was first grade, and the teacher says, here's your instructions. I want you to write your name on the right upper-hand corner of the paper. Now, if they had given a bunch of instructions, I might not even get to that and remember that. But even when I get to that, the right-hand side of the paper, and I'm like, well, which is my right hand? And so I'm thinking about which is the, the right side of the paper. And then the teacher would say, well... Uh, the right side is the side that most of you use to write because you're right-handed. Well, I was left-handed, so I have to say it's not my left side, it's my right side. The right, I'd hold up my hands, I'd look at which my left hand makes an L, but then again, I didn't know if an L, what direction an L went to. So just something as simple as writing your name on the corner of the paper could take a tremendous amount of work, and I would get instructions like that wrong. And instead of the instructor or the teacher being aware that this was an expression of a disability, they saw it as an expression of a student that doesn't follow directions, that doesn't listen carefully, that just is foolish, doesn't care about the things that everyone else cares about. And I'll tell you, as a dyslexic, when you struggle with things, you have a couple options. You can just struggle and be miserable, or you can joke about things and pretend they're not that important and actually kind of act like the class clown because you don't have another option because you cannot succeed. I remember being forced to be in a spelling bee because spelling is another huge issue for dyslexics. And in that spelling bee, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to sit out because I knew it'd be a trauma. I knew people would laugh at me, but everyone had to participate in. And the first word they gave me was could. Now, the word, words such as could and should have this strange rule where there's an L in it next to the D. And as a dyslexic, that was something I just could not remember. So could, I don't know how I spelled it, probably like C-O-U-D, there was no L or C-U-D or something. And I remember spelling that, getting out in the first round, and the kids laughing at me and me joking as well, like, oh, you know, how foolish I am. That was a trauma. I shouldn't have had to have gone through that. 
As a dyslexic, I was trying just as hard as the rest of those kids, but I couldn't memorize my spelling list. Just rote memorization takes forever for people who struggle with dyslexia. I have four kids. They do not have this same struggle. And I watched them memorize things, and it took them maybe 10 minutes for something that would take me three hours. But at the time, I thought, well, I'm just a bad student. I just... I'm just not a very good person. I just don't do things right. I just need to try harder because everyone else who tries harder succeeds. I'm really going through this because there's some of you who've experienced this trauma and I want to let you know it's not your fault. And there's other people where you know people like this and you really have not been sensitive to them, maybe not purposefully, maybe out of ignorance, but it's time to be educated. And then there's some people you love and you could help them by giving them this and helping them understand that it's important for them to look at their dyslexia, to understand all the complications of it, and instead of avoiding it or suppressing it or not talking about it, they need to embrace it because it's who they are. The list goes on. At school age, a struggle, uh, let's see, problem remembering sequences, I said that. Um, you know, so listening to the teacher's instructions. I, in fifth grade, I, w- I, was in, I was in a gifted class, They don't use gifted anymore. They use something else. And I don't know if I think those classes are good or not. Once someone tells you you're smart, you start acting dumb. But anyway, so I was in one of those classes. And I remember being held in at recess. This was in fifth grade. And the teacher showed me my spelling scores. She said, you, your spelling is like three grades below uh, the grade level. And she also compared it to other students. She said, compared to the other students in the class, you are far below other students. She, by the way, she shouldn't have done this. This was really not good. And she did this. And, and then she said to me that you need to try harder. You need to stop messing around. You need to do what the other students are doing. And implied, if you're in this gifted program, you should at least be able to do this. Well, guess how they taught spelling in that class? They taught it all through rules that you memorize, you know, I before E rules and all these different rules. For dyslexics, we do not learn through memorizing a bunch of rules. We learn through repetition. We learn through modeling, through mimicking. We learn just through trial and error. But we don't learn through, here's the 10 rules to memorize, and then place those rules together. Dyslexics, uh, for instance, instruction manuals are very difficult. If you give an instruction manual with 20 different steps, it's almost impossible for a dyslexic to follow. However, if you show them a video of someone doing this, that's why the YouTube age has helped me tremendously. For me, I have to watch someone else doing it. If you instruct me on how to do it, I can't even follow those instructions. But if I watch someone doing it, I can do it. I did this for my doctoral work. I remember them telling me what my doctoral work needed. And they told me it needs this many words and this many this and this many that. And it just overwhelmed me. So you know how I learned how to write a doctoral paper? I began to read other doctoral papers. And I just looked at what they did. And I tried to model. No, I'm not talking about copying their words. But I modeled what they did. I saw how they did their introduction. And so it helped me figure out how to do my introduction. Dyslexics learn often through seeing or through participating or through tactile ways where their, their hands and their, their, their senses are involved, not just through memorizing things. You know, I could go on with some of these, and, and part of me is even feeling hesitant to spend so much time on this, but I don't know why, because this devastated me. 
I can think of thousands of traumatic experiences that occurred because people didn't understand my dyslexia, I didn't understand it, and they judged me in a false manner because of it. Even something as simple as copying from the board. As a dyslexic, your memory is not good. And so if you see something on a board, we don't realize that if, if a teacher writes something down, someone who's not dyslexic at some level will read that, capture it in their mind, look down, and be able to write the whole concept on the paper. For me, I had to look up and down and up and down and up and down at every single word, at every single idea, because I couldn't capture it in my mind before I wrote it on the paper. So what happens? I'm just behind. I'm just struggling while others are, are, are with the teacher. I'm constantly you know, writing from behind. And when you're writing from behind, you're not hearing what the teacher is saying now because you're too busy copying down what the teacher said a moment ago. Interesting fact, many dyslexics struggle with how they even hold their pencil. Many dyslexics are also left-handed. That's another reality as well. Couple other things here. Trouble learning a foreign language. This, I, I, I can't overemphasize the trauma of this. I didn't know this, and if I'd known this, I would have structured my life differently. No one told me that dyslexics, it's almost impossible for some of us to learn a foreign language. And no, it's not because we don't try as hard as everyone else. We just can't do it. But I was forced to learn foreign language. So I remember in high school, I took German for two years, and I found a way to survive, and it was a trauma, and I barely made it, and I didn't keep any of it. I immediately forgot everything that I learned. Then at the University of Washington, I had to take two years of something, so I took two years of Spanish, and it was fully immersive Spanish, where when you're in the class, they spoke no English, and it was a trauma. And I tried my hardest, and in every other class, I was succeeding and doing well, but I barely made it. And after I was done with that year of Spanish, I don't remember any of it. Just tiny bits. Then I went on my master's work, and I had to have a prerequisite of one year of Greek, and then take another year of Greek, and another year of Hebrew, and all of those language classes were trauma to me. Now, I made it through, and I found a way to cope and survive, but I don't remember any of the Greek words that I learned, just very few of them, and the Hebrew words that I learned. Now, dyslexics can learn a system. They can learn how to process things. They can, they can learn general trends of this is how Greek works, and this is how Hebrew works, and, and, it, and it can help them learn how to read the language or how to use resources. Like, I'm able to use the Greek resources and the Hebrew resources and be able to associate this word as a translation of that word. So there is tremendous use in taking language when they understand that you're dyslexic, but it's almost meaningless to force a dyslexic to memorize all that language because they forget it. They simply forget it. So I just wanted to add here too, then later I found out also I have dyscalculia, and the reason I bring that up is many dyslexics also have that as well. Dyscalculia, and this is from a paper by Devin Fry, the last was research from the Mayo Clinic. Dyscalculia is a math learning disability that impairs an individual's ability to learn number-related concepts, perform accurate math calculations, and other basic math skills. It's actually sometimes called math dyslexia. And often dyslexics have dyscalculia as well. 
Here are some of the signs. An inability to read a clock or tell time. I'm not talking about a digital clock, but you know the ones with the hands, the big hand and the small hand. I think that's called analog. For me, t- reading time or telling time was tremendously traumatic. It also affects uh, your ability to do math with money, like to know that four quarters equals a dollar. Now, a, a, someone with dyscalculia, they have to tactically see that. So if you gave me four quarters and I could stack them up and see how they connected to a dollar, maybe I could do that. But if you just gave me some numbers and say those four equal a dollar and 10 dimes equal this and this many nickels equal, I guess it's 20 nickels. Like at the time, I was the slowest. It was the most difficult. Things that seemed so simple for other people were incredibly challenging for me. With dyscalculia, it's incredibly hard to do rote memorization when it comes to things like times tables. My mother spent hours with me, I think it was third grade, maybe fourth grade, going through times tables. You know where you go, the times tables for three. Just hours. People with dyscalculia, often a sign of it is they do very simple things that you should just be able to do in your head with their fingers. They count with their fingers. If you have someone like that, don't just make fun of them. There might be a disability there where someone else would go, oh, you know, I know what, nine plus four, uh, I, I know how to do that. I can just do it in my head. The person with dyscalculia will go nine and then they'll count out on their fingers four, 10, 11, 12, 13. Oh, that's 13. And you'll see them when you're playing a game like Yahtzee or something that they're using their fingers to calculate everything. With dyscalculia, you frequently forget things like your birthday. I couldn't remember my birthday. My mom gave me a way to memorize this. On January 29, the sun will shine. That's how I remembered my birthday. Otherwise, whenever, you know, that's the question you ask every kid in every class. And I remember in kindergarten not being able to remember my birthday, our first grade, our second grade, and my mom working with me to remember my birthday. If ever there was a sign that it's not about valuing something, every kid values their birthday. Every kid wants to know their birthday. And yet I couldn't remember my birthday. Yet that same struggle to remember my birthday also affected me in math word problems and in equations and in taking trigonometry and learning what sine and cosine and all these things you had to memorize. And, and although I was bright in a lot of areas and they kept moving me up in the math classes, I did worse and worse because I couldn't remember things that other people could remember. You can see how these things intersect. I struggle with remembering people's names, remembering words, rem- remembering science when you had to memorize, you know, different, I just, I couldn't do it. Or if I did it, I did it very poorly. So now I want to get to some of the deep stuff. And if you've been with me this far, thank you. Because I really wanted to get some of these facts out here. But here are some of the psychological and spiritual impacts of living with dyslexia and dyscalculia, particularly when it's not recognized. I realize that my dyslexia made me feel like a bad person. Or the way people responded to it made me feel like a bad person. I began to believe a lie about myself. I'm just a bad person. If I was a good person, I'd do better on these tests. If I was a good person, when I study, I'd be able to learn this information. If I was a good person... I would be able to spell like the rest of the people. It must be a sign I'm a bad student, that I'm not trying hard enough. 
I remember, uh, and I joke about it sometimes, but it was very traumatic at the time. I thought, I'm going to try to memorize something. It was like maybe three sentences. It was just a short thing I was memorizing for for a school uh, musical production. Not a musical as in a musical, but just we were singing songs and students were introducing the songs with little things they memorized. And my mom spent so much time with me to get me to remember this. And I was supposed to introduce a song called Barnyard. And I remember at the beginning, I had worked so hard to memorize this. And I got up there and I said, In the barnyard there are many animals like ducks and geese and chickens. And then I just forgot everything. And I went, And chickens. And then I began to cry, And chickens. And then the the music teacher gave me word for word of what I was supposed to say. She went, and cows, and I went, and cows. And then she said the next word, and geese, and geese. And she gave me every word of the introduction until I was done. And then I remember everyone clapping, and I knew I'd done something wrong if everyone was going to clap. And I went back up in the, the bleachers, you know, to sing the song with my eyes full of tears. And I could see everyone in the room staring at me. That kind of performance anxiety impacted me in so many traumatic levels. I did a piano and violin, and at the recitals, I was supposed to memorize the pieces, and I never could. Or halfway through, I'd have to stop and get out my book and be able to you know, play it from the book. And I always thought, if I was a better person, I would have memorized this. All these other students memorized it. They must just work harder than me. But what I realized as an adult is that I worked hard. And I couldn't do it. I've seen my kids, who are hard workers, work at things where in a half an hour they were able to do something that I just could never do. Where they could memorize line after line of entire musicals. Or they could uh, memorize complex equations about the universe and science and math. And I couldn't learn basic things like how many planets they are and in what order they're in. And it wasn't because I was a bad person. It's because I'm dyslexic and I have dyscalculia. I was also afraid to communicate my writing. You know, I've written two books. Uh, My latest book is Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Uh, And the book I wrote before that is The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And I wrote those books kind of later in life. I'm friends with authors who started writing books uh, when they were much younger than me. And today, as I was writing out this list, I realized I think one of the reasons I waited so long to write a book is because I didn't have confidence in myself, that there was still a part of me that just felt dumb, felt like I didn't have the right to communicate that way. And I know some people might not understand that, but I think you understand this if you have the disability. There's a part of you when everything you've shared has been judged by people as lacking and less. When you've gotten papers back where everything is marked up, when a professor, the only comment they make on your paper is that you mixed up the spelling of dinner and diner and they make a joke about your 12-page paper that you spent hours on because your dyslexic brain couldn't tell the difference between the spelling of dinner and diner. When you face those kinds of responses, you become fearful to truly share who you are. And I still find myself reading some tweets and some posts over and over and over again, trying to look for mistakes 
and realizing that I might still not see the mistakes until after I've posted them and someone has corrected me or ridiculed me. You know, the other issue where it hit me is with social anxieties. And um, I've been accused of not being a team player because I won't participate in team building exercises. Most team building exercises are often around things like learning each other's names. As a dyslexic, that's a trauma. And they'll say things like, oh, you know, let's go around and say your name with a fruit. Like, my name is Apple Ann. And then everybody says, Apple Ann. And then the next person says, I'm Donut Dan. And it's Donut Dan. And then you're supposed to be able to learn everybody's name through the fruit. Well, that's a great memory technique for someone who has a memory. But I don't. And so I just look foolish. Or worse, I'd look like I wasn't taking it seriously. In fact, as a pastor, I've had people say that to me. I wouldn't trust any pastor who doesn't know every name of the people in his church, a sign you respect God, and a sign you respect the congregation as you learn someone's name. Well, I try to learn people's names, but I can't. I recognize their faces, I understand their stories, and I love them just as much or more than the pastor who knows their names, but I cannot learn names the way other people can learn names. But I'll tell you, it makes you afraid to truly express who you are. You have to hide it. You have to pretend. You can't admit to people who you really are because you'll be shamed for it. Or they'll come alongside you and say, oh, let me show you how to remember. I can't remember scripture. I don't have one scripture fully memorized. There's things that will come out and I can kind of say them, but I can't tell you where they were. And again, people will tell you, well, that's a sign that you truly aren't a, a true pastor or a true you know, lover of the Bible if you can't memorize Scripture. And so you hide it. There's social problems that occur. I hated school. I hated assessment. I spent countless hours at night just worrying about my grades and worrying about classes, and, and almost all of those worries came from this dyslexic brain that couldn't organize my own life and couldn't remember the things I was supposed to remember. Constant worry. You know, I have a doctorate. I have a Master's of Divinity that was three years long. I have a doctorate that took me I don't know how many years to finish. I have, uh, you know, it, compared to most people, a pretty extensive education. But even working on my doctorate, I just felt I am going to fail at this. I'm not going to succeed. That's what happens when you have dyslexia. You don't think you're going to make it. You don't think you're going to succeed. Every book I've written, I didn't think I was going to finish it. Now, I just want to give a few things here at the end, because some people might wonder, you know, why I'm sharing this. Well, I don't, I think you understand why I'm sharing this. I do want to encourage you, if you've struggled with this, that you're not alone. And I also want to encourage a sensitivity for people to respect and learn to understand people with dyslexia and dyscalculia. I also want to tell you there's hope. I was able to write two books. I have editors around me. I have people who've helped me. But your child who has dyslexia can grow and to be an amazing communicator that don't give up. There's tremendous hope. My mom would say, Doug, you're a writer, as she spent hours and hours with me helping me write, showing me how to write, modeling what a good sentence looks like, what, it, what good expression looks like. 
And so the work you're doing with your kids or your friends or your family, you're not doing in vain. It has tremendous value to to release the voice of someone, to help them to communicate when they struggle with grammar or to help them with math when they struggle. Like some of this new math stuff is good. We ridicule that sometimes, but new math would have helped me with dyscalculia. It would have helped me for them to show me more ways on how we get to the answer for a problem, to show me the logic instead of just rote memorization. But I share this because there needs to be more discussion about dyslexia. So how do you help people with dyslexia? Just a couple things to end here. One, get educated. I mean, I've done something here, but in the Google age, you can get educated. And don't go to weird sites. Just go to the practical things. Google, you'll find most uh, medical places, most psychological, psychiatric, um, or just, you know, educational environments. They'll tell you what dyslexia is and what dyscalculia is. These are issues of the brain. You're born with it in general. And some dyscalculia can occur with brain damage, and uh, there can be traumas that happen to the brain that can have some of these expressions. But what I'm talking about is your brain's just born that way. And there's all kinds of benefits to, to dyslexia. You see big picture. You, you, you see things not just in individual parts, but there's a holistic th- thinking. And many brilliant world changers have struggled with dyslexia. Today, I just focus primarily on some of the trauma. But get educated. And another thing I'd just like to say is when you're trying to show compassion to someone, do not minimize their disability. So when a dyslexic struggles with homophone confusion, don't say, oh, yeah, you know, I struggle with those things too. That actually doesn't help the person. What you're doing is minimizing them. Because your struggle is not like their struggle. If you say, yeah, you know, sometimes I struggle with grammar too. It actually becomes a way of minimizing to say, ah, your dyslexia doesn't make you much different than me. And it does. And it'd be much better just to say, I'm sorry. I have no idea what that feels like. Thank you for sharing that. If there's something else you'd like to share, I'm here to listen. And I'll tell you, when it comes to grammar uh, in public places, uh, we need to be careful to hardly ever correct people with their grammar because grammar, English, and writing is a form of privilege at some level. If you know the rules, you either have the privilege of having a brain that can understand those rules than other people, or you have the privilege of having a better education than the person. So even if it is an educational deficit, it's a form of privilege to think that you can judge someone else's grammar. If they struggle with grammar, either they haven't had the educational realities, they didn't have the family that would support them, or their mind just can't process it. I'll tell you, it doesn't really do an adult much good to be corrected by a stranger online about their use of a homophone. All right, so this is me expressing myself as best I know how. I want to close by reminding you, or maybe not reminding you, but convincing you that you're not a bad person, you're not a stupid person, you're not a bad student, you just had dyslexia. And that's something you've had to deal with your whole life. And I want you to know it's really impressive that you survived in systems that did not make room for your learning disability. Well done. And for those of you helping someone with a learning disability, this is worthy work. It takes a lot of work. But don't give up. 
it matters. It's going to take hundreds and hundreds of hours of gentle modeling of how to write something, how to say something, how to communicate, how to learn. But you'll help your child. You'll help them with new pathways. You'll help them find their voice and express their voice. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. He made you this unique way, and he can be glorious through you. But you don't have to hide your learning disability. You can tell people, I can't do that. I'm dyslexic. I won't do that. I've got dyscalculia. You can do it, but not for me. And it doesn't make me a bad person just to say, that's not how my mind functions, and that's not what I'm doing. All right. Love you guys. I appreciate you listening to today's show. Could you please share this with other people? If ever there was a show to share, share it with someone that you know needs to hear this, okay? I think it could greatly help someone who struggled with the issues we've talked about. Okay, and then by the way, I got a book out called Posting Peace. That's the best way to support this podcast. Purchase my book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Okay, I'll see you next time. Enough